I don't think we acknowledge this as often as we should, but one of the, the things that the Bible does for us that is such a tremendous gift to us is that it gives us words that describe our experience. And most good literature does just that. It helps us to explain things that we know to be true and that have happened in our lives that are true to our experience, but puts them in words that, that just summarize it, it for us. It, it pictures characters and stories with which and, and with whom we can identify it. It tells the truth, and that's one of the reasons it endures, where my English professor in college who, who was berating the class one day for not knowing that there was a biblical illusion in one of the texts that we were reading. And he said, how, how dare you be speakers of English and not be familiar with the King James Bible? <laughs> Shakespeare and the King James Bible are essential to understanding the English language. And so the Bible does this. And in doing that, it, it kind of normalizes what we see as unusual or something that feels difficult to bear. You know, it, it's just the truth that we want to avoid things that make us feel uneasy. And yet when we know that those things that make us feel uneasy are not unique to us, but have actually been endured by human beings for centuries, we feel a certain resonance with and kind of lightening resonance with history and therefore a lightening of the load, if you will. It's, um, it's just true, and that's especially true of grief. I mean, how often do you go to a memorial service, which it's as if anymore at memorial services, no death has happened. <laughs> Only just a celebration of life, you know, and we weep not. Uh, there's a biblical quote for you that people throw in, um, but there's a lot more weeping than we weep not in the Bible. Grief is one of those things that we like to keep at arm's length because we don't like feeling it. And yet much of the story of Jeremiah is a story colored by grief. That's why they called him the weeping prophet. And today's text is, like much of Jeremiah, it is a depiction of Jeremiah's grief over what is happening to his people and over what will continue to happen to his people. And so if you don't like to hear about grief, let me just give you the point of this sermon right now. And those of you here who don't want to hear about grief can go out and maybe they'll cut the cake early. <laughs> those of you on Zoom, it's really easy for you. You just log off and you can log back in during prayer time or whatever, uh, whatever might be good for you. But let me just give you the point of today's sermon, the sort of so what. If you need a principal point, here it is. Grief is normal. Grief is a normative experience in human life. And as hard as it is, the only way to get through it is to acknowledge it, express it, and make room for it as long as it stays with us, and then bid it farewell when its season is over, and when we realize there is a reality bigger than the grief and what caused it. 
So just a reminder, Jeremiah had a reason to grieve. Just to remind you of the context of the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah preaches during a period of time in Israel's history where they are invaded by the Babylonian armies, where the walls of Jerusalem are torn down, where the temple is destroyed, and where most of the leadership is carted off to Babylon to live in exile for 70 years. So there's a reason that Jeremiah weeps. And uh, let's uh, look at one of those reasons um, or one of those expressions of weeping in Jeremiah 8, beginning at verse 18. My joy is gone. Grief is upon me. My heart is sick. Hark the cry of my poor people from far and wide in the land. Is the Lord not in Zion? Is her king not in her? Why have they provoked me to anger with their images, these captors of ours, with their foreign idols? The harvest is past, the summer is ended, and we are not saved. For the hurt of my poor people, I am hurt. I mourn and dismay has taken hold of me. Is there no balm in Gilead? Is there no physician there? Why then has the health of my poor people not been restored? Oh, that my head were a spring of water and my eyes a fountain of tears, so that I might weep day and night for the slain of my poor people. Oh, that I had in the desert a traveler's lodging place, that I might leave my people and go away from them. They are all adulterers, a band of traitors. They bend their tongues like bows. They have grown strong in the land for falsehood and not for truth. For they proceed from evil to evil, and they do not know me, says the Lord. Beware of your neighbors and put no trust in any of your kin. For all your kin are supplanters, and every neighbor goes around like a slanderer. They all deceive their neighbors, and no one speaks the truth. They have taught their tongues to speak lies. They commit iniquity and are too weary to repent. Oppression upon oppression, deceit upon deceit. They refuse to know me, says the Lord. Let's pray. Lord God, root us and ground us in your love and so give us that foundation by which even our grief can be endured. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So the smoke from the fire uh, in the Cascades, along with this particular date, in history are both on my mind this morning as I think about grief. And as I think about that rhetorical question that's at the center of the hymn that we just sang and also at the center of this passage, is there no balm in Gilead? For the rubble of 9-11 in New York City and in Washington, D.C. and in the rural part of Pennsylvania, the dust in the air in Man- South Manhattan at the destruction of such a key monument in the financial district you know, leads to another r- rhetorical question. Is there no relief in the place that finances all relief? <laughs> is there no balm in Gilead? And the point of the question is simply this. Even the things that we expect to help are not available to us and we don't know what to do. For they're gone. The medical remedies of the area of Gilead, a a kind of balm and resin that they produced, that's read about in several places in, in the Bible, 
The question comes, is this place of medical remedies a place that can no longer be a place of help for us? And since it isn't, since it cannot cure the thing we're dealing with, what can we do but grieve? And that's exactly what Jeremiah does. He grieves throughout this passage and in a sense, teaches us about the character of grief. He normalizes grief for us and shows us how variegated it is, how, how deep it is, how dynamic it is, how it encompasses so many different things, much more than sadness. I had a spiritual director once who told me, she said, the thing about grief is that it colors everything when we're experiencing it. It's like a set of lenses through which we view life. It's tinted in a particular way, everything we see. It's, it's shaped in a particular way. It directs our vision in, in a particular way. And I think of that truth when I read these texts that grief is like that set of lenses. It influences everything and it, it brings up so many different emotions. It paints everything with the hue of sadness and loss and what we are most aware of when we are in grief is what is gone, not what is present. We are aware of an, the presence of an absence in the midst of grief. And that's certainly Jeremiah's experience. As I look at those first verses, verses 18 through 21, let me just read them again. My joy is gone. Grief is upon me. My heart is sick. Hark the cry of my poor people from far and wide in the land. Is the Lord not in Zion? Is her king not in her? Why have they provoked me to anger with their images, with their, their foreign idols? That's what the people are saying as they are in exile, where they feel like that the psalm, you know, by the waters of Babylon, we, we sat down and wept. We wept when we remembered Zion, Jerusalem. There we hung our harps on the, the willows as they taunted us by saying, sing us one of the songs of Zion. They're aware of what is gone. And so Jeremiah says, uh, for the harvest is past, the summer is ended, and we are not saved for the hurt of my poor people. I am hurt. I mourn and dismay has taken hold of me. The grief is not just his own. It's the grief he's experiencing in his society. And it's a, a kind of doubling of grief as he contemplates the, the grief of his own people and, and tries to get a hold on himself and, and on them as well. And grief is a storm. It's a storm that grabs hold of us and and tosses us about, and there's a kind of experience of really labile emotions when we're in the midst of grief, where despair and anger and sadness can all be a part of it, and we move back and forth quickly between those things and not even recognize that we've gone off the deep end in, in the midst of it. And that's why we say, where is the balm? Why are the old remedies not working? Where else might we turn to, to find healing? And so on the one sense, there's deep sadness. I'm so tired of crying that I can't continue to cry and my tears are dried up. I wish that I could cry. Oh, that my head were waters, says Jeremiah. 
Oh, the, I had the tears to express what I'm feeling, but even that is dry. There's deep sadness, but there's also anger. It's an easy journey, quite frankly, from empathy, feeling the sadness of the people, to feeling disgust with the people. We move from empathy to disgust and back to empathy, back and forth between why are my people so foolish and stupid and wicked and I wish God would take their pain away. Both of those things are there and Jeremiah is essentially throwing a tantrum. And here's the thing we need to know, especially in this day and age, is that grief can foster a loss of trust. For that disgust with bad choices, with the lying and doing evil, makes us want to not trust anyone. And so Jeremiah warns his people, don't trust anyone. That feels so familiar to me in these days, in this time of our polarization, where everyone's saying, don't trust anyone. Because we're grieving the loss of something. And so trust flies out the window. There's a breakdown of society, a, a devastation and a loss that produces a kind of selfishness and struggle between neighbors. That's an example of grief, that loss of trust. And so Jeremiah speaks of a society of liars. Everyone for him or herself produces that effect because lies and oppression and a loss of a moral compass all kind of go together. And they move into a sort of hopelessness, a brokenness that seems beyond repair. And so there's no resilience left. It's hard to work for good when you think everybody's a liar. The bottom line, though, that Jeremiah points out to us in two statements that come at the end of verses is that the bottom line of grief is a feeling of an absence, but most specifically the absence of God. They do not know me, says the Lord. They refuse to know me, says the Lord. That's the source of the grief as Jeremiah talks about it is this absence of a knowledge of God, the absence of that moral compass, the absence of the thing that roots us and grounds us in something bigger than the grief. And as hard as grief is, quite frankly, what we need to remember is that it does pass. And it passes not necessarily because circumstances have changed or everything is suddenly good and right and now it's all going to be okay, it passes because we realize that a lament is not the only song we have to sing. It's not the only song we have to sing even in the midst of grief. It's not the only song in our repertoire. Grief passes because our world gets bigger. It passes when we realize that, that sadness is not the only emotion that we can feel. It passes when we realize that we're in a, a bigger place than the cramped and stuffy place that invites us to nothing but grief. 
And that happens. That realization that we're in a bigger place happens when we lift our eyes and open our ears and open our hearts to the reality that is bigger than the circumstances that spark our grief. There's still room for them. They're still just as true. They're just not by themselves when we see that bigger picture. Grief passes when the smoke starts to clear just enough to see the one who's been with us even in the midst of our grief. The one through whose heart this grief has also passed and who weeps along with us. It passes when we get that hint of glory. The hint of glory that helps us relax and loosen our grip on all that we cannot ultimately hold and therefore begin to allow ourselves to be held by the one who will never release his grip. Let's pray. Lord, take us beyond our sadness. Move us out of that constricting place and place our feet in the broad and open space where we can once again breathe in something bigger than the dust of grief. And so help us to see and experience and rest in the love that never fails, that you keep promising and keep bringing to us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.